Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. Our first lesson today comes from the Revelation, the Revelation of John in the first chapter, starting with verse 4. Listen now to the Word of God. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and on his account all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is, so it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I invite you to stand as you are able that we may hear the word of Scripture. Today and for the next several weeks, um, you will be, we will be tracking not only with readings from Revelation, but also from the Acts of the Apostles, the story of what happened after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. Today, we look to the fifth chapter, and Peter and a group of the apostles have been arrested, and we hear this beginning in the 17th verse. The high priest took action, he and all who were with him, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, being filled with jealousy, arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison door and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and tell the people the whole message about this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they went on their way teaching. When the high priest and those who were with him they arrived, they called together the council and the whole body of the elders of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have the apostles brought. But when the temple police went there, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were perplexed about them, wondering what might be going on. Then someone arrived and announced, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went to the temple with the police and brought them without violence, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. When they had brought them, they had, they had them stand before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, 
We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised, us, raised up Jesus, whom you have killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. So, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to us, to those who obey him. When the council heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up and ordered the men to be put outside for a short time. Then Gamaliel said to them, Fellow Israelites, consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up at the time of the census and got people to follow him. He also perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may even be found fighting against God. They were convinced by him. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. They claimed to be somebody. They claimed to be somebody. That's what Gamaliel said. Like Thaddeus and J Judas before them, these apostles, Peter and James and John, they claimed to be somebody. But what happened to those, uh, those fellows? They died or they were killed. And those people who followed them just disappeared, floated away, not to be heard of again. That's the summary of the position of that teacher Gamaliel to the great council. Another way of asking that question or saying that is, who do they think they are? Have you ever heard that question? Have you ever been asked that question in that tone of voice? Just who do you think you are? Maybe a grandparent or a grandmother said that to you. Just saying. Not the grandmothers say that. Don't get me wrong. But, but somewhere along the line, in that tone of voice, that inflection of like, what makes you think you could do that sort of thing or that you're good enough? There's another way, though, to hear that question. Who do you think you are? The inflection changes it. In fact, there's a television show, a reality television show. You may have seen it with that title. Who do you think you are? And it takes celebrities and uh, public people, and it explores their family and their genealogy and their history and their stories and unfolds that before the television audience. And it's really kind of fascinating. It, it's been on a couple of different networks at different times. It's available online that you can stream. And the stories 
are interesting and they are inspiring even at times to see how people's ancestors two and three and four and five generations removed struggled with circumstances and, and situations in life. And they also can be challenging. And the question is, what do we do when we get to those challenging pieces? Maybe watching someone else's challenges is, is, is instructive and useful, but what happens when the challenge comes to us? I had a, a mentor in my work life as a historian who used to say, well, you know, be careful when you do genealogy and family history because when you shake the family tree, there are going to be a few nuts that will fall out. Yeah. But with this television show, Who Do You Think You Are, a year or so ago, there was uh, some negative publicity when the tree got shook and for Ben Affleck. And it was discovered in the work of the research before the filming that his, some of his ancestors were slave owners. And that was something that he didn't want to have on television. And he, he worked with the producers to hide that, to cover that up. And, and they did. And when that became public, it resulted in all sorts of negative publicity, not only for Ben Affleck, but for the producers of, the, of that show. They took what was appropriate and, and, not, and known, and they hid it. They tried to make it go away, but it didn't. Who do you think you are? Who are you to claim to be somebody? That is a question not just for Gamaliel and not just for people who are the subject of a television show. It is a question for you and for me. It is a question for us to consider. Who do we claim to be? How have we been created and for what purpose have we been created? How do we live our life with authenticity and integrity how do we share hope and goodness with the world? Gamaliel was a teacher of the law, it says in Acts 5. He actually shows up twice in the book of Acts, nowhere else in the, in the Scripture. But it is known through tradition and through history that he was, in fact, a great teacher of the Jewish law, a great uh, leader of the people at that time. He's remembered even to this day outside of these accounts. Paul, in Acts 22, when he is defending his legitimacy, when he is telling his story, he said, I studied with Gamaliel. I sat at his feet. It would be maybe like a football coach today saying, I was on the staff for Bear Bryant or I played for Vince Lombardi. Gamaliel was way, way up there in terms of the, the authority and the respect that he had in the world at that time. He had gravitas. He had authority to share. Paul and those, I mean, Peter and those 
cohort of apostles who were around him were challenging the order. They were saying that Jesus had told them some things about life. The council and the religious authorities of the day said, we're through with this. We arranged it for this man to be dead. He is buried. He is gone. And why are these people still talking about this? This was evidently a few years, only a few years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Peter kept coming back at it, though, and saying, no, he is not dead. He is alive. Repent and believe the good news that you are forgiven, that God has loved the world and sent the Son into the world, not to condemn it, but to offer life for it. Believe that. But the religious authorities did not, did not believe that. They were not convinced, and they held on to their power, and they tried to suppress, and they tried to put away that message. And so in this episode in Acts 5, they bring the apostles, they bring Peter and James and John, and they, they have them there, and, and they will not recant, they will not stop. And some of them throw their hands up and they say, okay, we got rid of that, their leader, we'll get rid of them. Let's just kill them. But Gamaliel stands up and he says, wait a minute, folks. Others have tried insurrection before. Others have tried to lead rebellion before. They've said some things that were challenging. They've organized armies, but ultimately nothing came of them. Nothing came of them. And in fact, some of them were actually killed. So let's just let it pass. If nothing's going to come of this, what is there to lose? They will simply disappear. But if something does come of it, then maybe we've missed something. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to be on the opposite side of God on this, do we? This is sometimes called Gamaliel's principle, stated simply, succinctly, if our way is God's way, it will happen. If not by us, then by those who come after us. Pretty clear. It's appealing. There's a logic to it. After all, we want to believe that we are on God's side. But, you know, it can also be disconcerting. All the whatabouts and the what-ifs. What about those things that come around that really may not be so good after all or that we have some questions about? What if we can't see where God is in these things? What if we end up looking more like those council members, those Sadducees and Pharisees and Sanhedrin than we do like the apostles standing there with Peter. Historians and Bible scholars know that the time frame for this account is very soon after Jesus' death. But they also know that the examples that Gamaliel cites, the revolt of Thaddeus, had not occurred yet. What do we make of that? It was an event that that was to happen. 
Luke and Acts were written by the same scribe. As with the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, they were not written as the events were unfolding in our world of 24-7 news coverage. They didn't have it. It didn't happen. It happened years later, maybe as many as 50 years later. But the testimony was there. The Word had been shared. It had been passed down from person to person. By comparing other writings of the time, and even comparing things that were within Scripture itself, such as Paul's letters and outside sources, scholars and Bible students have come to focus on how that sometimes there's some differences here. What do we make of that? How do we deal with that? What does it mean? My brother and I have recently been exchanging things about things that happened in our lives as children and teenagers. I'm, I'm the older brother. I acknowledge it. Yeah, it happens. Um, and he is six and a half years younger than I am. But because of the way birthdays fell, um, there were eight grades between us. So that's, that's a pretty significant age span. Recently, we've been going back and forth about something that happened in 1970, and we have completely different remem remembrances of the surrounding events. The same event occurred, but the difference is, is, is different. All these years later, we recall these, the, the details of the event differently, but we recall that the event occurred. It's not about being right or wrong. It's about talking about the meaning of what that event was. Making meaning is a uniquely human activity. We do it all the time. Have you ever said to somebody else, I wonder what this means for me? Or have you ever heard a friend or a coworker or, or even someone on the news talk about some particular event in their life and they say, I don't want this to have happened for nothing. I want meaning to come out of my experience and out of this time that, that I've lived. Making meaning is something that we do as people. Viktor Frankl produced a groundbreaking book in the 1940s entitled Man's Search for Meaning. And of course, he wasn't talking about the male search for meaning. He was talking about the human search for meaning. All, uh, all people, regardless of age, regardless of circumstance, we seek to find some way in which what we are doing has meaning, has purpose, and how we live that out been going on, not simply since it was named by Frankel, it's been going on for centuries. It's part of our human activity. You see, Peter and the other followers of Jesus were claiming to be somebody. They were making meaning out of their experience. They were sharing the good news that God's pathway and God's love mattered in the world. They were forthright and direct they challenged the most sacred ideas of the time. The way of sacrifice is not at the temple sacrificing animals. The way of sacrifice and fulfillment is the sacrifice that God shared with us in the cross of Christ. That's where 
meaning is found. As we live in the shadow of that cross, as we struggle with what that cross means to us. And those apostles, those folks who were talking about this, they were willing to take punishment for it. They were willing to go to jail for it. They were willing to be beaten up for it. That was the purpose of making meaning in their life. We do that in our own life in different ways. What we don't know can sometimes harm us, though we would like to think it doesn't, but yes, it can. What we don't know can, in fact, kill us at times. Gamaliel's advice has been phrased as part of a principle, and it is an attempt to live with that struggle of what we know and what we don't know. But rather than say it has to be one way or the other, I think Gamaliel is encouraging us to work out what it means to be somebody. We claim to be somebody because God makes us somebody. God creates us as human beings and gives us life and breath. God creates us male and female. In God's image, we are created. Genesis 1, basic stuff. God has created, and we find our meaning in living in that creation and living in the purpose and the hope that Jesus came and shared with us. There is a tradition that Gamaliel eventually became a follower of Jesus. It's not supported directly in Scripture. We don't know if he did or not. But I can hear those words of Jesus, or those words of Gamaliel echoing some verses that come from Matthew. Beware of false prophets. You will know them by their fruits. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree good fruit. They, thus you will know them by their fruits. And again, words from Paul that he wrote to the church, the churches in Galatia, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. In 1973, the Watergate hearings were going on in Washington, D.C., and the, the chair of, this, of the committee that was examining those matters was Senator Sam Irvin from North Carolina, a good Presbyterian elder, by the way. Senator Sam, as he was called, was not known for being the most progressive person in the, in, on Capitol Hill in the 1960s and 70s. But he was unrelenting in his understanding of the ways in which the Constitution was to work. And as they listened throughout that summer to a, a whole host of different witnesses, on one occasion, 
one of the witnesses was speaking to him and equivocating and moving around and not coming, being completely forthright in what was there. And Senator Sam said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap what you sow. There in front of the world, the testimony of the fruit that we bear is being shown and revealed. We cannot claim to be something that we are not. But this is what we are. We are called by God to the table that God has prepared. We are called to be part of God's family, to share God's love, to experience God's grace, and to extend it. We are called to receive forgiveness that God has given to us as we are also called to extend it to those who have harmed and hurt us. It's not easy stuff, but that is what we are called to be. We take communion today, called to the table that Christ has prepared, called to the way that, that the Lord has set this up for us to share God's goodness. We are not simply claiming to be somebody, but we are affirming that through Jesus Christ, we are somebody made in God's image, somebody that can share the fruit of goodness that God has given birth to in the world, and by which, by God's grace, we are able to extend others. Thanks be to God that we, that we are able to claim that, to know that, and to share that. Thanks be to God.